When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So we have some exciting news to start the show. Brent, do you want to announce it? So... I had started, prepared. He started to write. I wanted to scare him. Well, well, I, it, it was alarming, but I, I want to be honest. So, to all of our devoted and beloved listeners, we are officially starting a Patreon um, to to just kind of connect with everyone a little bit more. Um, Elliot, a, a few months ago, said to us that he was he had an intention to cover his car with gold foil. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted yeah. to just start covering his car with gold foil, yeah. but that's really expensive to do. And we, he asked us to kind of chip in to kind of help pay for it. And, but we said, why don't we just do a Patreon so we can all raise money yeah. together? Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that we wanted to do with our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash you're making it worse, is to make sure the levels weren't more than that one thirsty OnlyFans account you probably subscribe to. So we didn't want to do the whole expensive Patreon situation. So we're offering three tiers on Patreon that are customized to our audience. The first tier is the $6 tier titled, How Dare You? And <laughs> How dare that, you? How dare you? How dare you? That will give you a lovely sticker from the podcast, which is very exciting, but also you'll get access to early episodes released on Wednesday. So that's very exciting. Or possibly Tuesday too. It depends on when we have them available and they're ready, uh -huh. but you will get all the early episodes. The second tier is called, You Son of a Bitch! Right? <laughs> Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and you'll get everything. Son of a bitch. You'll get everything you get on the How Dare You tier, which is early episodes and that lovely sticker. But you'll also get a new segment we're calling, Brent. I'm forgetting what it's called. You what son of a bitch. Oh, it's called um, You Son of a Bitch. Oh, and okay. it's, it's basically, so what we've found over the years of doing this podcast <laughs> is that the three of us just sort of like shoot this shit before we start recording. We just mm. sort of talk and so sometimes it's we really catch funny. up we yeah, emote we catch, elliot exactly. elliot gets very teary-eyed elliot gets reads, very emotional probably from his diary yeah like, elliot's always reading from his di diary alan's always. always reading a book and he's yeah. always like tuned out but it's always a fun chat so we it's figured why don't why don't we record that and offered that to you guys on patreon exclusively and there's a whole thing where you can have your own sort of like podcast feed that you get these early episodes and these special you son of a bitch episodes in your podcast player so that's really exciting you can get that and it'll just be like us before the show and you can hang out and then you can listen to the regular show afterwards and then the third tier is called unhinged which is i think <laughs> my favorite tier he's on hinge <laughs> in the other two tiers but it's also a lot of other things so a lot of times we'll play games or we'll come up with weird ideas or we'll have ch chats with someone or we'll do things and it's just sort of like 
an extra bit of stuff that you'll get from the podcast in addition to the extra you son of a bitch segment. It'll be other little. Yeah, another thing that you'll be able to find periodically in the in the unhinged category are periodic updates on Elliot's level of hinge from me, directly from me, shot by me, not approved by anyone else in the podcast, Uh purely an update for me on Elliot's level of hand. You, you won't even have any, you wouldn't even have to reference to me uh, to get the update. You'll just go do it on yeah. your own. Elliot yeah. won't be involved whatsoever. It's all <laughs> it's all coming from me. Uh, you know, throwing daggers of truth, of course. So that will also be included in the, in that tier. But uh, but yeah, so we're yeah. excited to do this. And so the 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 levels of tiers cost six dollars for how dare you, right. eight dollars for you son of a bitch, and ten dollars for unhinged all pretty decently priced only fans comparable pricing right yeah 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 yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And, and there will of course we'll be posting pictures as well like there will be yeah. pictures of mm-hmm. i might post a picture <laughs> elliot has some pictures i know he was talking about of yeah. him doing the splits uh that he would like to post your and... references to sex are like sometimes so out there like something i know when you say even like last i'm sorry i had to go personal but last week and you said you were talking about like something about balls and you called them nuts and it's like <laughs> what gay guy says nuts like talks about my my nuts it's like friend sexual I got, I, I, got that, I got that from you elliot i got that from you i, I thought years years ago you are you were at a party and someone made some kind of like passive aggressive comment to you um, and you were texting me about it and you said the person who said it to you his gut was hanging below his nuts. And I just I remember, yes. I remember thinking it was such oh a God. funny way Man, to describe it. There's that I started nothing using wrong with that if out. your gut does hang below your There's nuts. No, <laughs> absolutely absolutely nothing wrong. We're a great company and we love and support you for being here for it. So There's oh, that's absolutely funny. nothing wrong with that. Go to patreon.com slash you're making it worse. Choose your level uh, that you want to support the podcast. And we can't wait to have fun with you over in Patreon land. Mm-hmm. Let's go nuts. Hey! <laughs> Welcome to your making it worse. We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. So, uh, Representative Abs, aka the former disgraced, what does Sonny say? Disgraced former twice impeached, whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, on the view. Sonny um, Hoxton. But he wasn't impeached, but he was yeah. forced out of Congress basically to resign. Representative Aaron Schock Aaron showed Schock. up at New Shock, excuse me, showed up at, um, I am shocked by his shock. Um, <laughs> showed up at New York's Eagle Bar on their Twitter feed mm. and Twitter was not having fun with it. He was shirtless with a bunch of other men. Why? This is this I is know. something that bothered me a lot. I know. The picture bothered me, but them in tight why do gay I'm sorry, why? I'm gonna put this on why? gay men. Wear buy clothing that actually fits you. The Wait, so I haven't seen the picture small. yet. Yeah. Well, I mean click on the link in the doc and you'll see it. It's the the yeah. the his, the shorts are too small. And it's yeah. 
I will say Aaron's isn't. The other two guys were. They were. Just I bought. Crazy. I bought a pair of shorts this year. That's just a bit embarrassing. Because when be you honest. put stuff, if you put stuff in your pockets, like Brent, when you put your iPod Nano in your pocket, <laughs> and the and the shorts are too small, it it bulges out and it makes it seem like you have some sort of weird growth on your. Oh, screen. you. Oh, those iPod Nanos. And but, by okay. the way, by the way, we have nothing against growths. <laughs> So just to give you guys, if you don't know who uh, who Aaron is, he yeah. was a former representative from Illinois who resigned after he was caught misappropriating campaign funds by using those funds largely to decorate his office in the style of Downton Abbey. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, forgot about that. Yeah, and he regularly voted. He also regularly voted against LGBTQ, yeah. LGBTQ legislation. And when he was outed, essentially, in 2020 for – he had some nude pictures um, that were leaked on the internet. <laughs> I mean, he was, say, he, was he was barely in, but yeah. Yes, yeah, but – so whatever. When he was outed in 2020, he never he missed that opportunity to apologize for mm -hmm. some of his past votes against the queer community. And it would have been a great moment and possibly would have saved him from exactly what's happening to him now with people responding to this post that the New York's Eagle Bar posted. I have a feeling the whoever runs the Eagle social media had no idea who this person I think was. they had I think they had no idea. Yeah. And then the Internet, of course, <clears throat> responded and they sort of trashed. Aaron Schock for being able to be shirtless at the Eagle. So I guess the question is, yeah. do you think this person will ever be able to have a normal queer urban life? Basically? Well, he already does. I mean, look at, he's going out to bars. He go, he, I mean, he does the thing. He's taking shirtless pictures at a gay bar. Why they don't have shirts on inside, I'll never understand. Yeah. But there he is doing his thing. I mean, he seems to have no- a very hot summer, Elliot. Very true. hot. <laughs> but he seems to have shown absolutely no remorse for his hypocrisy, no remorse for- what he's done to the community you know it's very by the books and completely predictable and yeah i, I just think he's unbearable i also want to add that i recognize the guy in the middle of who he's with in the photo from the gym back in new york because i remember he had a um like he looks like a fake person you know <laughs> and sure. i remember he looked like a fake person in person but i'll never forget that he had a tattoo that was like a musical treble clef and a staff and i was like that mm. is so bad that is the <laughs> that is absolutely the worst way to say i like music sure. is to get a treble clef on your i was just like yeah yeah guy. i you know i'm 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 a little i'm a little torn i think obviously aaron shock is deserving of heightened scrutiny because he genuinely was in power and voted against our own rights and and so forth so i think people are obviously fully justified in hating him for a long time to come um you know that i don't know that said like at a certain point like when when do you just like let it go like uh and i also i've, I've brought this up before when he's come up on our podcast um but it's like i think we would all be a little less annoyed if he wasn't attractive because i i do think he's an attractive I don't, guy and he's obviously I, I, don't, very I don't think so i don't think so i really no. don't i i hate lindsey graham so much <laughs> and i hate him as much as i hate this guy this guy the reason that it's that i don't have any room for um uh, uh, empathy for him is because not only did he do all the things he did and not only did the the human rights campaign give him a score of zero yeah. <laughs> in, uh, yeah. uh, in terms of lgbt issues but he even after making whatever half-assed non-apology he made to the community after coming out and and, and getting i guess kicked out of um office uh he resigned. He, he resigned he resigned he continued and obviously like here continues to flaunt himself in a way that is as tacky as yeah. any other gay guy yeah. who does this that we 
don't hold but we don't but, have resentment towards we're just like we just we're just not connected to that type of person but yeah. he does it in a way that is so flagrant and almost seems like a fuck you that i have no empathy for he just him. doesn't acknowledge what he did that's the, exactly that's the biggest thing is that like it's kind of like nancy reagan in a lot of ways i think that she had she had curated this very sort of queer circle around her of hollywood elites when in her sort of california days and then when queer people needed help or needed her to step up and use her power for and same with Aaron Schock who help from what help for what what did they need help for <laughs> um same with Aaron because it, it was all during his his tenure in Congress was yeah. a great time in gay rights history of marriage equality and a lot of bills that were happening asked exactly and he could have done something he could have been a really bold Republican and done something really good and Nancy Reagan did nothing for AIDS. Aaron Schock did nothing for the queer community when they mm -hmm. could have. And Nancy Reagan did nothing when she she was no longer first lady saying, you know, what, we should have done something to help those those poor people dying in the 80s. She never did it. So, yeah, hold her accountable, mm. hold him yeah. accountable. You know what I mean? Like until they fess up and actually acknowledge what they did wrong, trash them. There yeah, I mean, I guess, and and I sincerely am not trying to defend this fucking dipshit, uh, but like, I guess he, he issued he issued an apology and like I guess my I guess one one could rebut that Alan by saying do you does he have to issue an apology every time a what bar posts for? a picture he didn't, didn't, he didn't you apologize he did? for his jokes no he never apologized he never he never recanted on his votes he never apologized for the harm he did to the community by voting against these bills that were supported it was essentially like he a heartfelt did. yeah it was like a heartfelt a quote unquote heartfelt like PR um instagram i think like an instagram yeah. graphic so that he if i remember correctly west hollywood or something exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and the fact that he just like it's like nothing stuck like nothing has changed it's like mm -hmm. the key has had there's been no app there's been no moment for him to actually reflect on anything and it's almost like when he plugged his ears when people were like like he's so homophobic even though he's gay and clearly gay and essentially taunting the public by going to Puerto Vallarta and taking these photos and all that stuff yeah. you would think that there would be some moment of reflection where he would at least step back but there's been no there's no pause he yeah. has just continued to be the long same have a Republican. you can be he can be a Republican and still say I was wrong in these votes back yeah. then, and I've evolved on this issue because of where I'm at in my life and I think I don't I think many parts of the queer community would probably still be very angry with him would always trash him but if that was the case if he would do that and people were trashing him I think I would fall in the camp of let's stop being so hard on this person and let this person evolve like he essentially person... didn't do the very least yes mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. yeah I get that so fuck um, him and I think those abs are fake I, I I've seen plastic surgery things where people can have like certain things inserted in their stomachs like the kin guy the the Barbie and Ken plastic surgery people where they can actually like create like fake looking abs. I think mm -hmm. Aaron's abs are fake. See, mm. I don't, I don't even look at the abs. I just think the three of them, I mean, at least he's smiling. The other two look like Disney villains. Like they always look nefarious. I, I don't know what is going on where they look like they're- It's like the hyenas from Lion Fuck you or kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was yeah, one, fun, I, I, one I, funny I, tweet I just want to mention that said, honestly, honestly jealous of the Eagle social media manager because I too would like to live in a world where I don't know who Aaron Shaw is. <laughs> <laughs> Not even joking. We are joined today by Chris Stedman, um, a writer, an activist, a professor in the Department of Religion and Philosophy at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, uh, with a few things to talk about to us today. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Oh, yeah. No, thanks for having me. You just came out with a book called IRL, um, yeah. and it's so, uh, so specific to- Earl. Earl. It's, it's about a guy named Earl. Yes. Yeah. That is the correct <laughs> pronunciation. Yes. Oh, that show. That show was weird. 
My name is Earl. My yeah. name is Earl. You remember that? That show Blast was from weird. the past. That was like 2010, I right? Never watched that. Yeah, either. all I remember from that show is the woman on it, the blonde one. What's her name? Martha Plimpton. No, 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 no. The other woman. Um, she won an Emmy. Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, she was peeing outside <laughs> the Abbey here in Los Angeles. There was like a video of her on TMZ peeing outside the Abbey. Really. Oh, drunk. okay. Oh, that's oh, cool. I've yeah. peed on a lot of corners and yes. street corners in my life. In many anyway, cities. I didn't. I didn't mean to derail the actual discussion about your. No, your no, movie. this is important. So yeah, I'm tell, us, <laughs> tell us about the about uh, the book. Tell us about IRL. Yeah. Uh, so IRL is a book exploring the question of what it means to be real online. Um, so you know more and more of us spend a lot of our lives online, especially over the last couple of years. And I, um, as you mentioned, I teach in a department of religion and philosophy. So I'm very interested in really annoying questions like what is real and what does it mean to be real? But I also think that these are questions that so many of us wrestle with when we show up online. Like, how do I share my life online in a way that makes me feel more like myself rather than less like myself, um, which is sometimes the case. And I think I'm sure you've all um, seen this. There's been this explosion this year of this new app called Be Real. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I finished yeah. this book a couple of years ago, but there's this new app, Be Real. And um, it. <laughs> the first time someone told me about it, I thought it sounded like a challenge from a Saw movie. Um, <laughs> that was like my guttural reaction. Um, so you get this notification and you. it's like you have two minutes and you ha uh, have to like take a picture of whatever you're doing in that moment. Yeah. Um, so if you're in your cubicle, you take a photo of that. If you're on a hike, you take a photo of that, whatever you're doing. And at the same time, it takes a picture of you with the other camera on your phone and you can't edit it at all. You can't put a filter on it, anything. It's just mm -hmm. it's you how you are in that moment. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do this, <laughs> then uh, I guess, I don't know, you get punished by the app somehow. Um, oh, yeah, it's a very strange thing. Thing to me i don't really have a strong actually, i actually find that i find that well that's interesting that you don't like that because i feel like that you know forcing people to not photoshop themselves and to actually you know not, show not what the, curate what, not curate the world that they live in like isn't that sort of redeeming no i mean i think there are there's certainly value for people who want to use it as like an accountability practice or whatever but one of the things that i talk about in the book is I mean curation is this very human thing like we have yeah. always curated the self that we share with others there is no such thing as like a single true self the person that I am in this conversation with the three of you isn't the same exact person I am when I'm talking with my mom or teaching my students or whatever and it's not that like one of those is the most real and the others are fake it's that who I am is a composite of all these things and I decide what to share and what not to share based on the amount of trust I have or what mm -hmm. kind of relationship it is or whatever. And so, I mean, you know, we've always curated family photo albums, like mine show the sweet memories and not the trauma. We all left uh, that right. uncle out of the photo album. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. That one missing family member we hate. But definitely the fact that we're living so much of our lives online on these apps that are profit driven, that are, you know, moving us sometimes in directions that don't make us feel very good. I can see where something but like be real gives people maybe a feeling of, you know, having a space where they can 
move away from some of that hyper curation that we're surrounded by all the time. The That's artificiality really... of, of social media. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I would sign up for be real, <laughs> but I, I, and I, I think obviously you make a fantastic point about how we always curate. Of course you curate what you present to the world, but I think social media has sort of put that on steroids. I wonder and well it oh, because like way. part of me, I get, I do think there are dangerous things with social media and how social media media profits and promotes this sort of false sort of identity that can then dramatically and can harm people, especially young people in how they view themselves and their world. But I also am like, well, but why should it be a company's responsibility to not let you curate yourself? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't like schools and teachers and like people be teaching people, well, this isn't real. Instagram isn't real. Like there needs to be somebody else in there because like you were saying, we do curate our lives. It's a very natural thing to curate how we present ourselves to the world, both online and in person. So like, where's yeah. the third party saying, yo, this isn't real. I mean, the thing about social media is everything, <laughs> everything that exists online is things that human beings have created. So social media is a reflection of who we are. Maybe it's a reflection sometimes of some of the uglier pieces of who we are. But, um, you know, if it's, if it's holding up a mirror to us, and we're not liking what we're seeing, that doesn't necessarily mean that what we're seeing isn't real. And yeah. I think, it can be this way of kind of shrugging off responsibility sometimes to say like, you know, oh, like the things I do online don't really count. Like, you know, I, how I talked to that person, like I know I wouldn't talk to them to that way if we were face to face, but you know, it doesn't, it's not real. It's, it's, yeah. it's just the internet. And I think, you know, exactly as you say, we, you know, it is easy to sort of put all the blame on the evil companies. And I mean, look, I mean, they do shoulder a lot yeah, of a the lot responsibility. Of yeah. But I also think that anytime we go through some sort of big technological shift, there's going to be loss and there's going to be gain. And, you know, when the printing press was introduced <laughs> to take a really prominent example, there was a lot about that that was really great. Also, initially, only the most powerful people decided what kinds of information would be shared through that medium. Hmm. Um, and similarly, like, when the printing press was introduced, it was we were able as a species to share information much more broadly, but also the way that information had previously been sort of most widely shared, which was through the oral transmission of knowledge, served certain purposes, like it helped connect people, it helped forge communities. And as information, you know, look, I want people to buy IRL. So, you know, <laughs> reading books are great, but it's not the same as sitting down and having a conversation with someone. You don't yeah. forge the same kind of relationship. And so there, there's loss and there's gain. Um, and I think right now we're in this sort of very transitional moment culturally where we're experiencing a lot of loss, but also a lot of gain because of the social technologies that we have. And in those periods when things are changing really fast, I think it's important to step back and ask yourself, what have I lost that feels meaningful and how can I try to reclaim it? So I was going to ask know. you what, from a macro perspective, what would you say that society culturally we have gained from social yeah. media? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, a very obvious example is when I think back to my own adolescence and I was a closeted kid in the Midwest who saw no queer people around me at all, saw very few queer narratives in media. And the ones that I did see in media were entirely unrelatable to me, like Will and Grace. Yeah, their lives looked nothing like mine. <laughs> um, 
And so, you know, I, I felt completely alone, totally adrift, but I could bike to the library, get on one of the shared computers and like go on a message board and find other queer people. And for most of human history, we have had to find community and construct a sense of self based on the people around us and the information that is accessible to us, which for a lot of history, was you were really restricted by geography, accident of birth, all of those kinds of things. Now, people can go online and find communities of common interest in ways that they couldn't before. And the internet really does have a huge potential to expand our horizons. Um, there's this thing in sociology where, um, you know, they talk about sort of close ties and weak ties. So your close ties are the people who you are closest with, your, maybe your family, if you're close with your biological family, your best friends, people who, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what technology is available to you, you will keep in touch with them. If the internet was gone tomorrow, my best friend and I would become pen pals, right? Um, but most of our relationships aren't close ties. Most of our relationships are weak ties. Someone who you had a class with the one year that you were at the University of Minnesota. Yeah. Um, someone who you were at a party once with. And, you know, in the past, you would have gone your separate ways and never seen them again. But now you add each other on Instagram. They're sort of in your orbit forever. And the thing about weak ties is they're much more likely to have perspectives that are different from ours. You know, you share a lot of your most intense, most important beliefs with the people you're closest to. Mm. People who maybe you're less close to might introduce you to perspectives that will expand the way you see the world. And sure enough, you know, so many of the people I follow online are people who have really different experiences than I do and who have taught me a lot about the way I see the world. So you know, I'd, I'd say the thing about social media is we hear a lot of people either like championing, championing it as the greatest thing that's ever happened or like who are doom and gloom and saying it's destroying the fabric of society. I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's somewhere in the middle. It's yeah, the gray area. Yeah. And that is a thing that makes people uncomfortable. They don't like yeah. the gray area. It, and, it, does, it yeah. does feel like, and and I'm not, not to speak for any of you guys, but to me, it feels like because we are millennials and came of age at the beginning like at least for me like I remember in high school what felt different for me was that in the past it seemed like when kids went to college there was a change in friendship with your friends and then by the time yeah. you get to college things change for me and I think everybody younger than us that was different and for me you know something like live journal was actually a connect truly like that and aim was a connective yeah fabric that i think made the internet great but then aim i do huge. and aim was huge but i but i think that there that it, it really became different by the time we got into like the the mid not yeah the mid aughts i guess or 20 2014 it feels like then it things took a turn um and i don't know exactly what or why it took a turn but it feels like the last eight nine ten years have been the the internet getting very dangerous and making yeah. like MySpace gossip look like you know child's play so there, there are those yeah memes, there are those memes about when like twitter was fun or whatever right <laughs> when, when twitter was just and i think that's when chris and i when i started following you that was like when twitter was fun and like yeah you would use it a lot and it was funny and you could joke and stuff and then you're right elliot in the past few years it just seemed like collectively social internet has been darker yeah, I definitely have noticed big changes in how I use Twitter, for example, I do a lot more like, 
basically Twitter has become Tumblr for me, which is a thing yeah. I never used before, but I mostly just use it to retweet things now. Like I do post things now and then, but much less than I used to and a lot less conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there definitely has been, I think you're exactly right about this shift. You know, I, for me, and this is where the phrase IRL comes from, it, it existed to sort of signify that going on the internet was like an activity uh, set apart from the rest of your life. Surfing so, the web. Yeah, exactly. I'd bike to the library. I'd get yes. on, I'd hunch over the computer and type the word gay in, hoping no one could see what <laughs> yeah. I was doing. And then I'd go back to like the rest of my life. And yeah. that's not the internet that we have anymore. You know, mm -hmm. at some point along the way, I got a smartphone and now rather than connection being this sort of thing I step into and out of, connection is my norm. Like yeah. I'm on my phone first thing the in the morning. The computer is I'm in your at hand. It right before I go to bed. And so really, it's not that the internet is like inherently bad. You know, I mean, there was this great study that BYU did, um, where they followed people for eight years tracking their internet use, and they found that two people could spend the same amount of time online and have totally different experiences. Huh. And it all came down to whether or not they were being kind of intentional about what they were using the internet for versus sort of mindlessly, you know, trying to get the dopamine rush or whatever. And I think for me, one of the biggest things that has improved my internet life is making sure that I'm being intentional about taking time away from it. Not because the internet's inherently horrible or has to be, but because I need the perspective I can only get when I'm alone, when I'm disconnected by yeah. myself, you know? Well, Brent made a great, we, Brent and I were talking earlier this week and Brent made a great point, actually. Um, we were talking about how I was venting about how I just get so wrapped up in the idea that social media can be all consuming specifically because I always say nobody forces you to press post so anything that somebody's posting there is always an intention even if even if it's my mom posting a picture of my niece to her friends there's still an intention there and yeah. I can't wrap my head around that and Brent you very astutely said and I said but doesn't everybody like everybody knows it's fake and Brent said some people don't or they don't want to think yeah. about it they don't want to think that about it from that perspective they just want to assume that the rest of us are just digesting their curation as if it's not curated because it's easier to think that way and that was very I hats off to you Brent hats off I think to we you. think <laughs> it's fake because we're I mean the three of us are, are in entertainment like that's yeah. what we're sure. looking at it from a lens that is very different from like our mothers or what do we do? And yeah. like, you know, let's be frank, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't even have this podcast or this audience or anybody without social media. And yep. the internet. Like yep. there's, there's a fuel that is, that's driving yeah. force of what we do professionally that I think in some ways, like you, we have to step back and find the middle area of where is the good in a lot of this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm more on the doom and gloom. Uh, <laughs> Get out of here. No way. Brent Sullivan on the doom and gloom. I mean, 15, 12, 15 years ago, I would have, I, my assumption was that the internet would, would, and would become the ultimate arbiter of truth. Mm. That if you ever needed to settle a bet or, uh, or find out information, all you had to do was just go online, find an appropriate you know sourced article or sourced whatever. article or whatever it may be and you would have your answer and quite literally the opposite has happened mm -hmm. and i think social media has weaponized that i, I a, a very 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 dear uh a person to me recently told me that they were under the impression that monkeypox 
you know, uh, as we all know, the, the, the disease that's kind of going around had a death rate of 10% because they had learned that on TikTok, which is oh, yeah, wildly yeah. untrue. And yeah. it just, it, 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 it just kind of scared me to think that like, you know, that, that such incredible misinformation can, mm-hmm. can occur so easily and rapidly. And exactly. No, we I, have I just huge, find it I fundamentally mean, disturbing. We have a huge misinformation problem to me. One of the, you know, I mean, ultimately, and this is kind of like one of the arguments that I build to an IRL, you know, we can, we do have agency to sort of decide what kind of relationship we want to have with the internet. We do have agency to try to be more intentional about what we're doing online and how we're spending our time and what needs we're trying to meet all of that. But ultimately we're swimming upstream because the, the social platforms that we use do operate, you know, on a profit driven model that ultimately like their priority is to keep you online as long as possible. And if what keeps you online is misinformation is things that enrage, upset, polarize, that's going to rise to the top. And so, you know, you, you can, and I think we, you should in the short term, try to develop a more intentional relationship with the internet. But you know, really what we need is systemic change. I mean, it's like climate change, right? Like I can walk more and drive my car less. I can recycle, even though that's often pretty useless. <laughs> you know, I can yeah. do all these sort of individual things and change my relationship with the environment around me and all all of that. And that can be really great. But until there's sort of like, you know, laws, regulations, yeah. um, you know, there's enforcement, until that happens and so until the platforms are forced to change their models in yeah. ways that don't prioritize misinformation then yeah we're going to continue to see rising polarization and all of these huge problems um i mean the tiktok thing is so wild i'm i'm you know i'm a little old <laughs> for tiktok so i i'm on there sometimes but it is completely blows my mind that TikTok has become like a go-to news source for a lot of especially yeah. younger people. Well, and it goes like, back to what you were saying about the printing press. About It's very similar in that when the printing press came out and people could just print whatever they wanted, so often it was misinformation. The whole, I mean, you even look at like newspapers into the 1950s and 60s, the whole Katie Genevieve case about why, how 911 was essentially created and the false information that newspapers put out about that murder. And people just believed it and accepted it because it came from a newspaper. So they accepted it to be true without questioning it and and going into it. And then there were checks and balances put on newspapers to then, they have to then print corrections. They have to then say that they were wrong on something. And the internet, I think, needs the same thing in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. fact-checking, all of that stuff is so important. And exactly as you say, like teaching people critical thinking around this stuff you know i mean i'm biased i teach but you know i really do think it is important that those conversations are i mean in the same way that like i wish in high school someone had taught me like here's how you do your taxes like stuff like that that you just absolutely know you know kids should know about the the basics of of basically the basics of separating reality from fiction when yes. it comes to what's in your hand yeah. and what screens you look at because they blur the two lines. And yeah. if they're not taught by anybody except, I guess, their parents, it's not easy to find that lesson because that technology is just going to want to keep them engaged anyway. Yeah, yeah, and if their parents are like me, they don't know anything about half of yeah. these apps and whatever. You, well, you, wrote, you wrote the book, so you do know. Something. Well, I had I had to learn. You know, I, I really spent yeah. years sort of trying to better understand how this all works because 
for better or for worse, you know, I don't see a future without the internet anytime soon. If anything, especially over the last couple of years, it's just become more and more close to the center of how we live in the world. And so trying to figure out how to have a better relationship with it. Well, I'd love, really you to, I'd love you to help. My, <clears throat> I'd love you to help teach my mom how she can <laughs> not screenshot photos that are native to her phone, because that's an ongoing battle. But oh, no. um, before we go, I do want to talk, of course, about not just um, the book, but you had a podcast. This is how I discovered you. You had a podcast um, uh, in 2020, I believe, right? Or it came out in 2021. 21. Yeah. Okay. Called Unread. That actually does speak to a lot of, I would say, web 1.0, I guess, early earlier internet. Um, it's such a good podcast. It's a nonfiction podcast uh, that you wrote and narrated um, basically about how your friend, a good friend of yours, Alex, somebody who dealt with mental illness, who was sort of in and out of your life for a while, but who had a huge, uh, huge part imparting of um, his, he was a huge presence in your life eventually, how he basically sends you and a bunch of friends an email the evening that he takes his own life. And how in the email that he sends to you in particular, he leaves you what sounds like a audio file of him speaking to a fan, an anonymous fan in a Britney Spears fan forum who sounds eerily like Britney Spears. Um, and I can just say from having listened to it and binged it all in one ride, it is so fascinating and it touches on so many things. But I think an important question to ask, at least first, without giving anything away, is um, what was it about Alex that made him so important to you? And it's obviously for this podcast is he was he was gay. And how did he help you shape your queer identity? Yeah, um, you know, growing up queer. I mean, this, you know, I, I became the king of compartmentalizing and I learned to sort of seal off parts of myself, the, the parts that I thought might, you know, put me at risk of being truly seen or of, you know, disclosing things about me that I didn't want people to know because it felt unsafe. And, you know, instead I leaned into the things that, you know, I thought the world would appreciate about me. And um, so I just became, you know, it's like a, a total you know, tale as old as time, gay cliche, I became a little golden boy, you know, I, I just only wanted to just be as good as I possibly could. And that meant anything, uh, any thought I had that was like weird or dark or mean or whatever, I just like learned to just, you know, keep that to myself. And <laughs> when I, um, so I, I mean, I came out pretty young, I was about like 13 when I came out um, to my mom. But, uh, you know, I that all of that stuff that I learned really sort of stayed with me. Um, but when I was in my early 20s, I met Alex. Um, and I meeting Alex was meeting someone who was like the complete opposite of that in every way. Like he shared every thought that came into his head. Um, he was completely unhinged um, in all the like best Elliot. ways. Elliot's <laughs> well, with a common, like a common topic of conversation for us. About how Elliot's unhinged. Yes, very unhinged. Yeah. 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 So he, Alex was truly unhinged in all the most like beautiful ways. Um, and he just showed me by example, what living, you know, a less inhibited life could look like. And, you know, it's not that I just became exactly like Alex. I'm still very much that, you know, I, I will always struggle with <laughs> some of those things, but, um, the thing about Alex is like, I've met a lot of people who are larger than life in the way that Alex was. Um, no one who was larger than life in exactly the way Alex was, but um, a lot of people who are f more free like he was. And um, 
you know, oftentimes like we haven't connected because I am, you know, more buttoned up or more reserved, but Alex like never made me feel judged for um, maybe not being as able to be as free as he was. He simply like just wanted to invite me into his world and like, you know, he appreciated me for who I was, but also like extended a hand to say, if you want to be a little more free, like, come on, you know, jump in. His personality is so infectious and you just really get to know him through this podcast and through all the media you put together of him. It's just, I mean, we can't talk about it too much without giving anything, giving, giving it away, but it is people should because it's so it's good. So good. It's called unread. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. And I mean, sort of the, as, as touching and intelligent and sophisticated as it is, there really, it does really build to a question as to whether we are listening to Britney Spears herself talking to Alex um, in these audio files. And it is just it's a wild. head scratcher. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you listening. And yeah, I mean, the when I got my email from Alex, obviously it was uh, one of the truly one of the worst moments of my life. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it did feel so Alex to just like drop this mystery in there of like, hey, by the way, I was talking to this person. She sounds exactly like Brittany. Here you go. And not really Insane. say anything else about it. Insane. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I hope that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you found that that aspect of it interesting. Obviously, I couldn't stop thinking about it myself, which is why Unread exists. But more than anything, you know, I hope the show um, is just a testament to who he was as a person oh, because, it is. you know, his, he, he lived the kind of life that like doesn't get memorialized most of the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just felt really important to me to try to do justice to. Well, and was. it also so, shows that like you did. You know, mental health and suicide can impact people who aren't always just sad. You know what I mean? It can, it can impact people of the spectrum of any personality and that if anyone is experiencing those thoughts, there's that new number that they can call now. It's uh, what is it? Nine, eight, eight. Um, that they can call and get help, which is, I think, very important and needed. Well, thanks, Chris. This is so fantastic to have you. People can go buy the book IRL, I'm assuming anywhere books are sold, and they can listen to Unread anywhere podcasts are published. Um, and where would you like people to follow you online? <laughs> oh, gosh. Ironically. I, yeah, ironically. I am on Twitter. That's probably the place I'm most active. I'm on Instagram as well. Um, both are Chris D as in dog, which is not my middle name. But it would be cool if it was Stedman, S-T-E-D-M-A-N, like Oprah's boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks, yeah, Chris. Thank you so much. And another thing. All right, guys. So Alan proposed, uh, introduced a phrase into my lexicon recently, which was goblin mode. I don't know if you coined that or if perhaps the internet Are you sure did. he did or I did? I think you did, Elliot. Oh yeah, really? I, think I did. Yeah. I think oh, I, then said, yeah. I think I then said we should do a thing on it because it's yeah. funny. Oh, it's interesting. It's so yeah. funny how you forget you like forget like these things because I remember I was recording with just Alan that week and Elliot wasn't even on. <laughs> Elliot wasn't even, he wasn't recording at all. I don't think I've seen him for months. In fact. Anyway, no. so Goblin Mode basically is like you at your most primal, I guess. Yeah. What are what are you like when you're having? the day after you get the vax um what are you like when you're just like pampering yourself and not worrying not giving a care in the world to anything else so why don't we start we rarely start with alan let's start with even though i don't like his voice let's start with alan (laughs) can i just add can i just make a little amendment 
it's not really that you're pampering yourself. It's that you're in your most like almost disgusting yeah. mode where you don't want anybody only nobody can see you like this, but this is you at your most no, true Elliot, Why don't you tell yours? Because you yeah. coined it. You did it. So well, mine is mine is probably the least um messy of yours, but <laughs> my goblin mode because Wow, what do you clean. think of us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but my very clean my my goblin mode is like about being clean. And so when I'm in full goblin mode, I'm probably eating takeout. I'm not using any dishware and I'm not cleaning up immediately. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Letting things be out for a little bit before cleaning up. That's me full goblin mode. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is, that yeah. is, that's pretty, I feel like pretty sassy, Elliot, pretty yeah. sassy. <laughs> I feel like my goblin mode has a bit of like straight dude energy to it because I've spent so like because of my brothers growing up with my brothers, but then also having like a lot of straight dude roommates in my 20s and whatnot um, that I fully embrace the this the whole disgusting, gross nature of like goblin mode. I'm talking like you eat Taco Bell at 2 a.m., mm. fall asleep at 3 a.m., you wake up at noon, you don't get into that's out, goblin mode. You don't get out of your pajamas until 5 p.m. when someone's yeah. local news comes on and tells you it's almost nighttime and you're like, Yeah, I have to fuck. Do I gotta like I gotta and get changed. You're yeah. at that you're at that part of beard growth where it kind of itches and you're like, fuck it, I gotta shower at some point, mm -hmm. but you have it in two days and you don't give a fuck. There's a smell coming from the kitchen, you can't quite place it, but you're okay. <laughs> oh, that's that's literally everything. You're day on because you're on the couch and you're just like, I gotta watch this next episode of whatever the fuck it is which is probably something you've already watched because if you're in actual full goblin mode you're not wanting to take the energy to find something new you want that comfort you want that hug you want that thing that is familiar you're yeah. watching like fucking friends for the 48th time or something friends or air disasters or it, yeah, yeah, what, yeah, yeah whatever yeah. show that really yeah. speaks to your soul can i tell you i have had four fruit flies in my apartment for the last fucking two months and i cannot catch them fruit flies so flies and mosquitoes are all are both very easy to kill yeah all you need is a fly swatter and decent aim and they just fall out of the sky fruit flies are fucking impossible to catch why don't you get yeah. that sticky stuff yeah you can also use a natural thing that i do with fruit flies that i've done for vinegar you. Uh, yeah, you can do vinegar, but I also do apple cider vinegar and yeah. a little bit of, this is weird, a little bit of dish soap in a cup. You, yeah. put, a, you put a plastic yeah. saran wrap thing around the top yeah. with a rubber band, poke, poke holes, holes in it. Yep. They'll go into it and they'll die. Yeah, it hasn't worked for me. Anyway. What's your uh, that was though? I was just trying to say <laughs> that's that's the state of my kitchen at all times, which is there's always flies <laughs> in my kitchen, and that's not even in goblin mode. That was the point of that I was trying to make. Oh my so God. my goblin mode... Honestly, I at the day after I get the vax, I've, I've had four now. Um, I live it up. I I embrace. You guys have heard me say this before, and it's kind of a weird quirk, but I I get sick so rarely now now that I actually kind of embrace getting feeling sick under the weather. Uh, I allow myself to take a day off. So so my goblin mode would be taking a Xanax in the morning, mm. uh, drinking a strong cup of coffee, getting two fast foods for dinner yeah um and then probably like store-bought like ralph's cake yeah. uh, oh what yeah. kind of cake a cookie cake they you know they sell like slices of cake in those clamshells oh, and yes. uh when it comes to cake i either prefer my mom's cake or i prefer 
Ralph's cheat makes re- yes. really good like mm-hmm. slices they, they of do. cake. I've been craving cake lately. Oh, and I I was so yeah. today's at uh, Michael's birthday, and I was so hoping he would like want a cake or something because I was yeah, it, but yeah, he, he didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Wait, I have to I have to ask. I don't understand why does Xanax and coffee. Why do those two things count as goblin mode? Uh, just because it's like, I guess I'm still interpreting this as like gluttonous and yeah. <laughs> I, I only have some Xanax and so I don't take them frequently, but I do kind of, you know, it, it's a very, very mild high. So I, yeah. I take yeah. it every once in a while. And I guess like, I like drinking coffee when I take Xanax because it keeps me alert instead of just wanting to fall asleep. Wait, yeah. but uh, Xanax makes, is like a downer. Yes. Yeah, because you so want the to coffee cool. brings you back up. Yeah. So so yeah. I don't want to fall asleep I on my see, couch. I, see, I, I, see. I want to I want to live it up. I want to yeah, walk I around see. downtown LA. But it's all about but, like fucking with stimulants too. You know what I mean? Yeah, you want the downer, yeah. but the coffee also gives you a little bit of an edge. Yeah. Right. I, the- I actually I don't know if I ever told you guys this once. I, I took a Xanax one morning. This is a couple of weeks ago. I took a Xanax uh, and then I had this really, really strong cup of like of coffee yeah. and then it's literally it's like i blacked out i'm oh not kidding God. and i woke up and there was like a dead guy in my apartment <laughs> i don't know what happened i've gotten myself off coffee is that shocking oh wow oh wow what drink, do you drink, drink now so, i mean tea i used to drink so much coffee in the morning and then i slowly started weaning myself off of it and now i only have iced coffee like here and there mm. so, Iced coffee is delicious and also the unofficial drink of gay men it's mm. true. Got to have the straw, though. Love essential. The straw is essential because you want to hold in. Yes, yes. What would your aunt say? Brent, what would your aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's podcast? I just joined your Patreon, the lowest level, and I already canceled recurring payments. <laughs> <laughs> I know my aunt Joanne would say, I still don't understand who Earl is. <laughs> how about aunt ann my aunt ann would say i went to patron.com and i, I just a weird website came <laughs> up and things started exploding on my computer mm-hmm. i had to explain to her that it's patreon.com slash you're making it worse 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 patreon.com <laughs> Bye. You're making it worse. Patreon.com. Well, Brent leaning into like an absurdist repetition is so unlike him comedically. (laughs) So out of his wheelhouse. (laughs) Now it's like ASMR. I don't like this. Oh my God. (laughs) Honestly, she she turns on a dime and then she and then she becomes abusive. Elliot becomes abusive.